This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That The first question I've got for you, Sam, um, is about your playing career. As you know, I do a show with Willie Morgan fortnightly, and he always talks <laughs> about you as a, as a as a player who he respected a lot and was absolutely fearless. What was Sam Allardyce the player like? Uh, I'd say I'd say a hundred percent committed. I think that um, my dream and love for football was very, very apparent from a very young, very, very young age, like a lot of kids, I think. But mine was uh, driven by the fact that uh, there were nothing else that mattered other than trying to become a footballer. And I think when you get the opportunity to to be that, then you have seen lots of young lads come and go uh, and not make it like you mean. So when you get the opportunity, you try and grasp it by the hands and and give everything you've possibly got to be as good a footballer as you possibly can. And I think that uh, listening to all the coaches and the managers, which was um, a big part of, of my entire life, I think, um, as time went on, uh, stood me in good stead and uh, allowed me to develop as a player and uh, use the, uh, the skills that I had uh, and, and the strengths that I had, uh, but also reminded me of the weaknesses and um, not let those weaknesses get exposed, of course. So uh, um, in, in, really, after all that, just enjoyed, enjoyed football as much as possible and, uh, and had to play for as long as I possibly could. So uh, the opportunity, Bolton Wanderers, with Willie, who was part of a great adventure of Bolton getting back into the old first division, we were the youngsters. Willie were the were the Alan Gowlin, Tony Dunn, Peter Thompson, Frank Worthington. They were the experienced older players that mixed with us younguns like Peter Reed, Paul Jones, myself, Barry Siddle, Neil Watmore, Gary Jones, and that combination was was pretty good, and uh, that allowed us to get back to the top. Um, and I think that. Uh, the joy that that brings you, I think the, I still speak to a lot of those players now and still see a lot of the players whenever I can. Um, and it's just something in life that you're so happy that you've been involved in. And I think that we're so lucky as professional footballers to dream the dream and, uh, and ultimately earn our living from it, that, uh, that we are very privileged indeed, like, you know, you had a very successful start when you entered management at Limerick. You win the title as a player manager. What was it like being a player manager? Was it difficult? I think that, uh, that being a player manager was probably the best thing for gaining experience as a manager because I could actually manage on the pitch. So 
uh, rather than actually standing on the touchline, I could affect the game not only with my performance, but also being being what was happening, going on in and around me, um, and then and guiding the players while I was on the pitch. So that was a obviously a big a big test for me, meeting a um, a group of players that only only train twice a week and. And a lot of them come together only on the Sundays from other other parts of of Ireland and turn out and play. So uh, that was a brilliant experience for me. And, and I think that what you gain in in life is you want to play at the top and you want to manage at the top. I played at the top, but I also played in every division in the football league as well as playing in the Lim the Limerick in, with Limerick in the Irish league. So. I never knew it at the time, but I also have done the same as a manager. So um, rather than working my way to the top, it took me a bit longer to work my way to the top as a manager because it came through this apprenticeship by starting at Limerick and Limerick to Preston as youth coach, caretaker manager, managing Blackpool, Blackpool, Notts County. Then the ultimate dream for me, Notts County, Notts County Bolton. And, uh, you know that uh, that experience and that apprenticeship was, um, you know, was it um, one that you uh, I cherish might be the wrong word because there were some hugely difficult times in that in that period of time uh, to to try and get as far as you possibly could, and you don't know how far you can get, or you don't really know how good you are uh, in those young days. But uh, you keep driving and keep fighting to get the opportunity, which. Um, ultimately happened with Bolton really and when you enter Bolton um, a lot of people when we think of your Bolton side think of challenging for European places playing in Europe being at the top end of the Premier League but that wasn't the club you inherited you had to get to the promised land first of course yes of course I think that uh, there was I think uh, I was very fortunate that, um, that uh, my dream came true to come back and manage this club and uh, uh, where my dream started uh, in a brand new stadium. The brand new stadium was a key, as uh, another key factor in in building the club into what it was. Then, uh, obviously, a lot of it is done by developing the club and developing the staff, and then developing the players, which is obviously done by you, led by you as the manager. But having the stadium to go with it was very important indeed. A brand new stadium, an iconic stadium just outside Bolton Town Centre, which was a beautiful, beautiful design, a great atmosphere um, and a magnificent tool to, to develop Bolton Wanderers as a team and to entice the sort of players that we, uh, we got to come and play for Bolton Wanderers. And I think that uh, uh, once they arrived and saw the stadium, even though it was only 28,000 to its capacity, they were very, very pleased to... Play, be able to play in such an arena and of course the fans gave all those players such a warm welcome because they never thought they'd see the type of player that they saw and uh, and the fans fell in love with the players and the players fell in love with the fans in that period of time which was which was obviously extremely extremely successful in 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 my period and uh, and, and I'm always very grateful for that because um, you know, this was the best journey that I had, I had experienced, and also told me that I was a good, I was good enough at this job. I was good enough 
to manage at any level or every level, particularly after getting the Wanderers into the Premier League within 18 months. You know, and you, you look around and, and see a team that falls from bottom in the, in the championship and then the next season they achieve promotion by the playoffs and then continue to grow from there. It gave me the opportunity to build my confidence, show, show that the things I was doing were the right things, the way I was taking the club forward was the right way. And we were all benefiting from that. Before we talk about some of the established stars that you managed to attract to Bolton, I want to ask you about two players in particular, Kevin Dolan and Kevin Davis. They were absolutely crucial to everything that your Bolton teams were able to do, both natural leaders as well. What were they like to work with? Uh, well, Kevin was a, a young, aspiring central defender when I arrived. Um, released from Liverpool. I think he was 13 or 14, if I remember rightly. And uh, I just saw anything but a centre-half. I saw somebody that could play farther forward and, and, and then would give the opportunity to, to Kevin to see where it went. And I think that when you're a club um, who was strapped for cash, which Ball Mondras was, I think it was a, a running at 45 million debt at the time, which made the, the things we achieved even greater when we were in so much debt that if I could find a youngster to, to get in the team and develop in the team, then, you know, it's, it's such, a, such a great thing, not only for the player and for you and for the fans and everybody, but for the overall financing of the club, it, it saves you an awful lot of money because, as you know, those players cost you the least. You've developed them and when they first get in the side, you know, their demands are not as great as other players who are more established. So... Uh, giving Kevin the opportunity was was Bolton was a great club to be at for that opportunity. If you were young enough and we thought you were good enough, you'd get in, you know. And obviously, many other players did. Um, Dean Olden, Nicky Unz, Ricardo Vaste, you know, people like that 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 that, that did come through. The the youth were very very important, but obviously Kevin was was the standout guy because he was a. He was, wasn't only just a player, he was a leader. And uh, he proved to be a leader when JJ left after being captain for three seasons that Kevin took over in his early 20s and, and, and developed in that role as captain as well as a, a very, very good player on the pitch. Whereas Kevin, Kevin Davis was the lost soul, was, was where he was moved from uh, Chesterfield to Southampton, Southampton to Blackburn, Blackburn back to Southampton, been transferred for probably more than 20 million and, uh, and, and, and sort of got lost in the, in the euphoria of all that as a footballer. And um, when we finally got him uh, into Bolton Wanderers with the development of the backroom staff, um, which at that stage was about between 28 and 34 members of staff. Then we had the tools to guide Kevin Davis back into being this lean, mean footballer that he was as, as a youngster in his early 20s. So um, we helped him recapture that. And he obviously stayed at the club for, I think it was at least 12 years, I think. Um, and, and so 
Kevin, it was a different set of circumstances to Kevin, um, along with Nicky Ontu got in at 2021, Joey O'Brien, another youngster, 2021. Um, and I think that Kevin, alongside that, with the sort of British backbone behind the team. And, uh, and I think that we then got a Gary Speed. And then on top of that, we built the foreign, foreign element around that. So there was this mixture of the Brits and the Brits and, and the, the high quality foreign players that were wanting to come and play in the Premier League and, and, and decided they want to come and play at Bolton Wanderers. And just on attracting those players to the club, you know the the, the stereotype, the, the tag that comes with Sam Allardyce teams play direct football, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But the argument that I would have to counter that, and I've always said this, you don't attract guys like JJ Acocha, Nicholas Anelka, even Campo, Fernando Hierro, to come and play long ball football. So there's far more to your game than that. And and those guys, I think, prove it. It's a shame. It's a shame I learned that tag to, to not address that tag at the very start, which was which was unfortunate for me and for the players. And for me in in in, in furthering as my career went on, because it's never it's never lost that that question has never been lost on what type of football you're going to play. And I think that had I been or, or had I nipped it in the bud there and then, which is what I should have done, um, then that team would have got the, the praise it deserved for the quality of football that it played, like you mean. So when you're, when you're serving up to Bolt Wanderers fans who are, who are in the top six of the Premier League and it reads that you've got more international players and more World Cup winners and European Championship winners than... Man United, Chelsea, Tottenham, uh, Arsenal. Uh, you you got as you know you got as many as if not more than they got. You know we got Stalios, Nicholas Anelka, JJ Okocha, Gary Speed, Yuri Yorkaev, Ivan uh, Campo, Fernando Hierro. Um, you know these these players were you know. You know, World Cup winners, European Championship winners, league winners in their own countries, and uh, and there was a lot of them. You know, so I think that uh, uh, the rather unfair labels that other managers had to use an excuse for was something that we allowed it to get on because we were doing so well, and we thought, or certainly I thought, it wouldn't do us any harm, but it did because it took away the attraction of that team uh, and the quality of that team and the quality of football that that team played. Um, there was no doubt that we were capable of doing what you needed to do, as was the Man United side and as was the Arsenal side that didn't get beat. You could, we could mix it both ways. If you wanted it tough, we could play it tough. And if you wanted to play it football-wise, we could play it football-wise, which... All good teams, when they get to the top of the league, have to have both of those attributes in their armour. Um, and uh, and like I said, we you know internally we were all you know all in it together, and we all sort of brushed it off, and we all knew what we were, and we all knew how good we were, and we just kept going out, and we kept on winning, and kept on upsetting, setting all the big boys, and um, and ended up being you know a very very good team consistently for maybe three, four seasons. 
when you left the club, you left them fifth in the Premier League, which when you think of the, the riches of the division. Oh, can you still hear Hello. me? Can you still hear me? You froze there. Oh. Have you got me? Yeah, I've got you. Um, yeah. You left the club when uh, fifth in the Premier League, which, again, when you think of the finances involved, is absolutely remarkable. You had European campaigns as well. With hindsight, does that job at Bolton give you even more satisfaction now than it maybe even did at the time? Well, I have to make it clear, and I, and I, I still, I hope it's clear across the board. I didn't want to leave, and and um, because because of my affinity and my love for for the football club, but unfortunately, because of um, the board's decision at the time um, not to develop the team from where it was to where it needed to go, um, and as you know. Not you know in any 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 industry, not just in football, um, but in any industry, if there is no growth and there is no investment, then there's failure, and uh, and that was a an unfortunate thing that I came across at that time. Where I'd say the board become complacent, it went and wanted to just carry on without finding the money for for to obtain the same level or if not get to a better level than we already are. And there were players that were running out of contract and were getting on the downside of their career that would need replacing. So we'd set out to make sure that there wasn't a fallout from the quality of football that we were playing and the club did not want to at that particular time to address that. And I felt that my reputation would be damaged irreparably I didn't want to leave Bolt Wanderers on a bad note where the fans turned against me where it wouldn't particularly be my fault because it would have been the lack of investment on the players that we needed once you give them something as great as we give them it would be the Bolton fans demand that we carried on at that level and try to get better uh, so I didn't want to find myself slipping down the league like the club ultimately did after I left uh, and getting the backlash because it always falls on the manager irrespective of whether it's their fault or not. So I made the the decision from my, from my head, not my heart. My heart was broken, but my head told me it was, it was time to leave when we're at the top. When you look at your next three jobs, Newcastle United have a change of ownership when you go in there, which is always a tricky time for any manager. Blackburn, of course, have their ownership issues. But again, I've spoken to players on that team, Chris Samba, Morton Gams Pedersen and others who praised your work. Um, West Ham United, you had the, the gold Sullivan Brady scenario where you win promotion. But again, there's fans talking about a takeover there. And, and even today, they're still talking about that. How did those jobs compare with Bolton? Well, I think that uh, I would say... Uh... That uh, that you, the Newcastle job was was the right place at the wrong time, because uh, Freddie Shepherd was was the number the number one at Newcastle, and uh, we'd been talking for a, for a while about whether whether it would be possible for me to go there. I'd resisted before, uh, but but obviously when they when they moved Glen Roder on. Um, I thought it was the right time for me 
uh, with Freddie's commitment and what he was talking to me about, um, it was going to be a very exciting project. And I think that uh, the project that we had based on moving players out and revamping the team became and cut very, very short. And, uh, and Mike took over. And I thought, I think that that disruption and that ability not to go and do, I'm not blaming Mike for this because he's the new owner and he has to find his way. And as much as I tried to tell him that they were going to choose their own route and, and their own way. And um, if you're asking for millions and millions of pounds to build the team, and then they're not quite sure whether they should or they shouldn't. So we ended up just just putting the squad together to try and meddle through for a season and see whether we could, you know, get better and, and see whether Mike could find his feet about how football's run and try and take the club forward. And that didn't happen uh, for me. And, um, and uh, we parted company in January after a, a very, very good start to the season. But unfortunately, a poor Christmas, uh, New Year, lots of injuries. Quality of the squad was never good enough. Not for Newcastle anyway, we knew that. But we thought we might muddle through. But, um, you know... That was it, and I think the wrong place, the right place at the wrong time, was exactly what that was. And so, the, unfortunately, there's little or nothing you can do about that. The last club anybody in the country would have thought would have been taken over with Newcastle United because of Freddie Shepherd's love for Newcastle. He loved this place; it was his whole life. He bled black and white. You know, he was Newcastle through and through, and there wouldn't be a price or any price, I don't think, that he would have sold. And uh, unfortunately, he wasn't allowed to buy Sir John's shares. Mike got them and uh, there we go. But like I said, don't hold any, any bad feeling to, to Mike. He, he had to find his own way and he, he had the club for a number of years after I left. One job I've got to ask you about is Sunderland. You're incredibly well received there. Um, the fans still talk about that season and, and, and obviously the celebrations at the end of it. How proud are you of your time there? Well, it was a nice, it was a nice place to go back to and uh, having, having played there and having worked there with Peter Reid. So I, did, I didn't have any... any uh, I had a lot of understanding about the, the, the Sunderland fans and about, you know, what the, what the Sunderland fans are all about, like you mean. So I knew that... Um, Good, honest, good, hardworking, good quality in the right areas and good organisation will, will allow us to start developing the team and start to change the results. And I think that along with Ellis Shorts and the Chief Scout and the staff's help, the players we bought in January, the key element of changing the fortunes of Sunderland as well as myself. So the, the whole the whole. You have to have a whole load of backing behind you to be successful when you're fighting against relegation because you've got such a short period of time to get it right. And without the backing of everybody from the kit man to the groundsman all the way up to the chairman and the board um, and the and recruitment policy and the backroom staff and the players, it's going to be very difficult to achieve that. And uh, we, got, we got the players at it particularly with the new players that came in, you know. And, and I remember um, 
me putting I got Kirch off from from Bayern Munich and put him on at Tottenham away and he had an absolute disaster and and he got we got I got slaughtered he got slaughtered in the press for the fact who is this guy what's he doing here and uh, and I thought well you know I know the quality of this player and you will soon find out because they've got to get their feet they've got to find the feet and the hardest job for a new player from abroad is to find his feet in the Premier League and uh Laman Kone came in and was the beast of the centre half, an absolute monster of a player at the time, like you know. And I think that because you'd done the same, because I'd done the same at Blackburn, um, I knew that's what we had to do. And so I was following what we did at Blackburn, and, and I mean, unfortunately for me at Blackburn, that we had another change of owners, and they they decided they didn't want me again. That was that was good business for them. I'm where they ended up, wasn't it? But you know, those things happen and you've got to take them on the chin and move on. This is football. You cannot, you think you're safe and then all of a sudden something happens and it can completely turn turn against you, whether you deserve it or not. So Sunderland was a great, a great journey, a fabulous, fabulous journey. So we did, I think, um, I was up there just a few weeks ago doing a Q&A, like, I mean, and the fans were still, Still absolutely unbelievable singing away, like you I mean. And I think we had an average gate of a team that was very rarely out of the bottom three. We had the average on gate of 42,500. And that shows you how committed and how passionate they are. And I believe that they helped us, without any question of a doubt, to get over the right the line, particularly in that last, particularly in that last week's. We had Chelsea at home, one nil down, one all, two one down, two all, three two. Jermaine Defoe, brilliant again. Uh, Everton in midweek, three nil, and then Watford away, where we'd already saved, we drew, and we only lost one in the last eleven, and that shows you just how difficult it was to get out of trouble by only losing one in eleven, and I think we only finished sort of. I mean, th fifth from bottom, I think. That's how, uh, but the journey, the last 11 games particularly, was was a great journey. And, you know, people don't understand that that, the, that, that that's success. You know, that's that's re that's real success. That it's, 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 as, it's probably harder than doing that in such a short period of time. It's probably harder than, if you've got the best team in the league, then, then you're under pressure to win the league. And that's massive, you know. But if you haven't got the best team in the league, but you're expected to get them safe, that's a different type of pressure and probably bigger than, than having to try and win the league because, you know, mo most of the time you're winning all the games. And, um, and if you're down at the bottom, uh, you're losing more than you're winning. You've got to keep the players' confidence up. But, you know, we managed to do that. And, it, and it, it's a great feeling at the end of the season it's a relief but a great feeling that it's a job well done by everybody not just by you you get the praise for it like you get the criticism but everybody's everybody's got to take a you know a piece of the cake and say well done you played your part and uh, and that was uh, you know as compared to newcastle down the road was it was a different kettle of fish as we say 
Last two questions for you, Sam. Um, I don't want to dwell on obviously the politics in the past of it, but you managed England on uh, for, for one game, as you know, and it's the highlight of any countryman, um, anyone that gets to manage their country or play for their country. It's the ultimate honour. Uh, how do you reflect back in obviously that game and, and and the journey England have been on after it? Is there part of you that watches them and thinks, what if that could have been me or, or should have been me almost? I think that uh, it's it's never going to leave me how, um, how how gutted I am that it that it happened. Certainly, the way it happened. Certainly, it shouldn't have happened. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about me uh, absolutely not breaking any rules that were suggested by the Telegraph. That was proven. Um, but of course, in this world of football or this social media of guilty till proven innocent. There was an overreaction by everybody concerned and particularly the FA that gave me no opportunity or no right to defend myself, which I still find very bitter and very, very bitter to take that they never gave us an opportunity through, through HR to, to sit down and discuss it. And then if at the end of the day that they felt I'd I'd done too much in my position as an executive of the England side, as the coach, that that it warranted me being dismissed. Then, then you would uh, hold your hands up. But this was a, just a knee-jerk reaction and a, a fact of the matter that they just wanted me out without allowing me to defend myself. And I always say this: if I'd done that much wrong, why did they pay me to leave? Um, and of course. Why did they want me to leave? Only they can answer that. But at least I have a 100% record. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the last question I've got for you. Um, managed at the, top, at the top level of English football for many years. If you had to score your managerial career out of 10, what would it be? And crucially, will we see you back in the dugout soon? Because you have been linked with a few jobs. There's been a, there was a bit of a knockback, I think, from, um, from West Brom. Uh, the, the task was too great for... Uh, for us to survive uh, in terms of the, not just the players um, in their low ebb of confidence when we took over, but also the, the, the price the pandemic had on them, had on them all. I think that, that had I realised that, that that was that, that big a problem to deal with, then I probably still would have taken it. You know, I don't mind saying that we, we didn't do what we wanted to do, but I can say with my hand on my heart, West Brom and the Albion players got a lot better with me and the staff in control than they were before I took over. A lot, lot better. Unfortunately, the results didn't reflect that enough to stay to stay in the in, in the Premier League. But so I'd have to knock a point or two off there and maybe, you know, it's a it's a strong eight out of ten. You know, I've uh, I've ended up being a uh, a saviour rather than a developer, which means that a lot of people in this industry forget the achievements of how you can build a team. So, you know, the, the building of the, the team at, at Bolton to be as, as good as it was, to do as much as we did in this period of time was, was miraculous all the staff and all the players and everybody at the club have to take credit for that, not me. 
And then the building of West Ham was another major, another major plus where I took West Ham by the scruff of the neck. They got relegated. I put them back in the Premier League and kept them in the Premier League for three years very safely um, without any questions of relegation and look where they are now. So I can build a side as much as I can save a side. And I think people forget about that because all they ever think about is get Sammy or save you. Yeah, that's right. I'm fine with that. But there is another side of me that can build a side to become very successful. And the proof of the pudding is West Ham United and Bolt Wanderers. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song